So how do we know the Bible we have in our hands really contains the words of the Almighty God? One of the most remarkable and miraculous aspects of the life of Jesus Christ was his unblemished record of fulfilled prophecy. Here's Pastor John Randall. Jesus in his lifetime fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Marvelous, the prophetic word of God. That is why we believe the Bible is inerrant, it is inspired, it is God-breathed. It doesn't simply contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. And that is what we proclaim and we believe. Calvary South OC is pleased to present a daily walk with Pastor John Randall. You know, as Christians, we should always have a heavenly perspective on life. After all, we have eternity with God in a perfect heaven waiting for us. Why then do we spend so much time, energy, and emotion on petty little things here on earth? Good question. So where is your treasure? Maybe like the rich young ruler we'll meet today, a dramatic turnaround is needed. Here's Pastor John in Luke chapter 17. There was visible pain that was seen in this man's face. The price was too great for him. The cost was too much. For all of the people who have ever come to Jesus that we see in the gospel, had ever come and fallen at the feet of Jesus, this is the one man who went away worse than better. In fact, someone referred to this passage right here when he walks away from Jesus as the great refusal. And forever this man would be haunted by what could have been. And sadly, this story is too often repeated. Those who are searching, finally coming to Christ, confronted with leaving the old world behind and, and following the Lord, they choose to walk away. I, I just can't, I can't do that right now. I can't, I can't pay that price. I don't think I can carry on like that. But you will find that there's nothing worth holding on to that would hold you back. If there's anything standing between you and your relationship with Jesus, you need to deal with it today. Don't put it off any longer. Well, you know, January 1st is coming. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to part with it. Don't wait. Do it now. Do it now. And God will bless your obedience to his word. Now, following this encounter with this rich young ruler, Jesus gives an explanation to his disciples. Look at the next few verses. In verse 24, and when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Jesus makes a statement that I believed probably startled the disciples. He said, it's difficult for those who are rich to enter in the kingdom of God. And the reason why it startled them is because in their minds, the person that was financially prosperous was a person that had the hand of God upon their life. And so when they heard Jesus say, it's difficult for those people who are prospering, who they assumed had the hand of God on their life to get into the kingdom, they thought, well, who can be saved? If that guy's not getting in, what about us? That was really their concern. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that statement. Visualize it, if you would. A camel, you know how small an eye of a needle is, don't you? Now there are some people, maybe you've heard the teaching, and it's not a true teaching, so pay attention. There are people that have said, oh, what Jesus is saying here is there's actually a gate there in Jerusalem. It's called the needle gate. 
And if the camel will take off all of the things, you can, you can, it's possible, in other words, you can, you can shrink and get that little camel down. If you get enough people, you can shove them through the gate. That's what he's saying. It's possible. There is no needle gate. I've been to Jerusalem. There isn't one. Jesus is saying it's impossible. You can't shove a camel through the eye of a needle. Even if you ground him up, you could not push a camel. In other words, Jesus is making a statement, this is impossible. Salvation is impossible for man, but it is not impossible for God. It's only possible with God. God has put it outside of man's ability, but not outside of his own ability. Only God can provide salvation. I love this verse, not only as it relates to salvation, but every area of my life, to know that nothing is impossible for God. Oh, there are many things, I will admit to you, that are impossible for me and for you too. You look at it and you think, that, that's impossible for you, but there's nothing impossible for God. Impossible is not part of God's vocabulary, thankfully. There's nothing too hard for God. God is able to do anything, anytime he desires. Be mindful of that today, believer, that nothing is too hard for God. The disciples then, after Jesus said this, Matthew's gospel tells us they were greatly astonished. And then Peter speaking, probably on behalf of the rest of the disciples, he says to Jesus in verse 28, he says to him, we've left all and followed you. Again, the other gospel says, we have left all and followed you. What remains for us? This guy has everything and he's not willing to leave it. We left everything and came and followed you. Is it really worth it? That's kind of what Peter's saying. Is it worth it to follow you? Is it worth it to lay these things aside and actually follow after Jesus? And Jesus responds to that question upon Peter and the disciples' hearts. And he says to them very clearly, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying it is worth it. Anything that you lay aside for the kingdom's sake, for the gospel's sake, you will be rewarded, not only in this life, but specifically in the life to come. It is worth it. Have you ever wondered that in your walk with the Lord? Maybe you have observed those that do not follow the Lord prospering, and you're seeking to do the right thing. Maybe on your job, you find people that are being deceptive and and the way that they carry on in the business, and yet you're trying to do the right thing, and, and you're not getting ahead, and they are, and it just seems unfair. It doesn't seem right. The psalmist struggled with that. The psalmist was observing the wicked, and he said, I'm looking at this guy. His foot doesn't slip. Nothing goes wrong for him. Everything seems to be fine with him, and that really bothered me. In fact, the psalmist went on to say, I almost slipped when I watched that. I'm watching this guy prosper and get away with this, and I'm thinking, this really isn't fair. And then he said, until I went into the house of the Lord. And he said, when I went into the house of the Lord, I understood their end. There was clarity, or formerly there was confusion. Guys, it is worth it. The Bible says that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. I love that story that I heard one time of a missionary couple that had been on the mission field their whole life. They were coming back. Perhaps you have heard of it. They were coming back on a ship. 
And on the ship was the president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, happened to be on that ship. And as they were coming back together, when Roosevelt arrived, there was this great parade and all of this wonderful fanfare and a band and people were, were just cheering for him as he got off the boat. And this couple, you would have never known them. They, they were unheralded. They went to their hotel room. And that night, the husband with his wife was there and, and, and he was discouraged and he said to his wife, this just this seems pointless. We spent our whole life on the mission field. There's nobody there to greet us. There's nobody there to welcome us. It just doesn't seem fair. Just, we come home and, and nothing happens. And his wife so wisely said to her troubled husband, she said, dear, that's because we are not home yet. You see, it's worth it, friends. When you arrive there, it'll make sense. It is worth it. Jesus then took his disciples aside Privately, and in verse 31, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all these things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, he will be mocked, he will be insulted, he will be spit upon. They will scourge him, kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't know the things that were spoken. This was not the first time that Jesus in his ministry had shared with his disciples about his coming death. There had been more than one occasion, but every time that he shared about it, they did not understand it. And this time he becomes far more detailed about really what's going to transpire when they arrive in Jerusalem. And the reason is because they are very close to the cross. And so he tells them, when we arrive there, the Gentiles, I'm going to be turned over into their hands. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to kill me. And the third day, I'm going to rise again. But when the disciples heard these words of Jesus, they couldn't understand it. They couldn't perceive what he was saying. Maybe it's because they were concerned about the coming kingdom more than what Jesus was saying. How could there be a coming kingdom? He keeps talking about the kingdom if the king is killed. This doesn't make sense. They just kind of disregarded that. It didn't make sense to them. Or maybe they just were too troubled by the fact that Jesus kept talking about that he was going to die. The thought of Jesus dying just was unthinkable to them. But Jesus makes an important statement that I want to highlight here. Notice what he says. All the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. What is he referring to there? He is referring back to Old Testament prophetic scripture concerning himself. All the things that the prophets said in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled. Can you think of any prophecies that were spoken concerning the Messiah? A few come to mind. I think, first of all, of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, written by David a millennium before the time of Christ. And he gives the very perspective of the Lord hanging upon the cross in detail. It describes how he would be mocked. It also describes that they cast lots to divide his garments, that his bones were all out of joint, how the wicked surrounded him. And listen to this, how they pierced my hands and my feet, Psalm 22 says. Guys, when it says they pierced his hands and his feet, that was before crucifixion was ever invented. Prophetically, David declares the way in which the Messiah would die. Furthermore, he goes on, and it says at the end there that God's righteousness would be declared to a people that should be born. What about Isaiah chapter 50? In Isaiah chapter 50, it says, The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Listen, I gave my back. 
to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard, and I didn't hide my face from shame and spitting. Prophetically, Isaiah, now 700 or so years before Christ's death, prophesies what would happen to him when he came into Jerusalem. It's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples at this moment. And then you have another passage thinking of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the most profound prophecies in the entire Old Testament. As I said, written 700 years before Christ's death and resurrection. And here's what Isaiah said. He is despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows. He is acquainted with grief. And it says, we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Prophetically, Jesus is saying everything that was foretold in the Old Testament concerning me is about to happen when we arrive in Jerusalem. Friend, if you don't believe the Bible today, can I exhort you, challenge you, study biblical prophecy and have your questions answered. And think as you study, for example, how is it that a man can end up being born where it's been predicted hundreds and hundreds of years before he was ever born, where he would be born? How does that happen? It can only happen if it's divine. How can a man determine the way in which he is going to die? The area that he's going to grow up? How does he determine the very exact day that he would enter into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry on the colt of a donkey? To the day. How does he do that? Was Jesus walking around with a Bible? Hold on a second. Wait, guys. Wait. Hold up. Wait. Zechariah says right here, somebody get me a donkey. Wait, wait, wait. Make sure it's the cult of a donkey. We got we to fulfill biblical prophecy. Of course not. That's not how it went down. Jesus in his lifetime fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Marvelous. The prophetic word of God. That is why we believe the Bible is inerrant. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It doesn't simply contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And that is what we proclaim and we believe. Jesus says, I'm going to be delivered, mocked, spit upon, scourged, killed, and the third day rise again. The astounding thing to me is that Jesus knowing in advance all of these things that were going to happen, he still goes forward. I mean, his life is in danger and he knows what's about to happen, but he still goes forward. And I think if I knew what was going to happen to me, if I went up to, I would go somewhere else. If I knew how I'm going to die, I'm not, I don't want to die that way. I'm going to go somewhere else. Why would Jesus go forward? Because he loved you. Because this was part of the Father's plan. This was the only way that we could be saved. And so Jesus set his face like flint, the Bible says, making his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the purpose and the will of God so that you and me, we could be saved. Well, finally... In verse 35, then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and he heard a multitude passing by and he asked what it meant. So they told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more 
Son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this encounter with the blind man. Matthew tells us that there were actually two men. Mark actually names the man, specifically focusing on one man whose name was Bartimaeus. But in all three of the gospel accounts, there is the emphasis of the messianic title, son of David. Jesus had to be a son of Abraham and a son of David in order to truly be the Messiah. But there's a couple of things to make mention of here. As Jesus is passing by, this blind man, although he could not see, he could hear. And as he hears a multitude walking through the streets, he recognized something's going on. And he says, what's happening? Who's coming? What's taking place? They said, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And when he heard the name Jesus, and Jesus specifically of Nazareth, he began to cry out at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Perhaps this blind man had heard stories of how Jesus had healed other blind men. And he thought, if he healed other blind men, he can heal me. I don't know what it was that stirred his faith, but, but something to the point that he became very vocal and began to scream out, Jesus. And while he was screaming out, it says here, and the other gospels make this clear too, that they told him, be quiet. Stop, stop screaming. You're embarrassing. Stop, stop calling his name. Did he stop? No. In fact, it says he screamed out all the louder. It's like the volume just went, mm, turned it up. Screamed that much louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't ask Jesus to give him something that he deserved. He asked for mercy. He asked for mercy. And it's so marvelous because when you look at this passage, look at what it says. As he was crying out for mercy, this ministers to me so wonderfully as it relates to our Lord. It says in verse 40, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, I love that. This man is crying out. And listen, if you're, if you're in need of God's mercy today and you call upon the Lord, he, he will stand still. He will minister to you. He will offer you his mercy. That's the God that you serve. He's a merciful God. You say, I need mercy today. God wants to shower you with his mercy. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. It's through the Lord's mercies, the Bible tells us, that we are not consumed. It's according to his mercy that he has saved us. It's not works of our own righteousness. God is a merciful God. And if I will humble myself like Bartimaeus and cry out, God, have mercy on me, he stops and he comes and he ministers to my need. The other gospels tell us that, that when Jesus stood still and called for him, they said, arise, Jesus is calling you. And he came near to Jesus. And the interesting thing that one of the other gospel records is that this, when Jesus called him, it says that he laid aside, listen, his beggar's garment. He laid it aside. The beggar's garment was important to the beggar. He wrapped himself in it. He set it up. That was like setting up shop every day, begging this was something that was important to him. This represented in one sense, much like his identity. This is who I am. I'm a beggar. That's all I've ever been. I've got a beggar's garment. This is where I beg. This is who I am. But when Jesus called him, somehow this guy knew, I'm not going to need this anymore. I'm laying this aside. The rich young ruler was not willing to, to lay things aside. This man, he knew. Jesus is calling me. I'm done. I don't need this anymore. And he comes to Jesus and look at the encounter here. It says, Jesus speaking to him, verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, 
receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus calls him to himself. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You need my mercy. What, what can I do for you? And he says, Lord, I just, I want to receive my sight. He calls him Lord. It's a submitted request. Lord, I would like my sight. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And this man, for the first time, if you can imagine it, being blind your whole life, never seeing a sunset, never seeing a flower, never, never seeing anything before, for the first time, his eyes are open and he can see. And after that happened, it says, notice this, he followed Jesus. That is always the sign of a true conversion. When somebody's eyes have been opened, when their spiritually blind eyes have been opened and they see, you know what, what, what follows? They follow Jesus. They follow Jesus and they glorify Jesus. The person that says I'm a Christian doesn't follow Jesus. I question whether or not they really know Jesus because when you are truly born again, you want to walk the same road with him. You want to follow after him. And he glorified Jesus. And everybody that saw this man knew of his testimony, that he was blind, and now he could see. They also gave praise to God. And by the way, that's all of our testimony. You can sum it up. We were blind, now we see. Jesus has opened our eyes. Do you remember when your eyes were first opened by Jesus, when you were converted? When Jesus saved you and you could see like you never could see before, man, there's nothing like it. Everything becomes so much clearer. Like what? Why did I, I never saw that before. Why did I never, why did I never see that before? Because you were blind and so was I. But Jesus opened our eyes and now we can see. When you look at the rich young ruler and you look at this beggar, they both had the opportunity to come to Jesus they both had the opportunity to receive mercy, to follow him. One had everything, and he wasn't willing to part from it, and so he did not follow Jesus, or at least he thought he had everything. The other man had nothing, and yet he realized his need for Jesus, and he followed after him. My question to you today I want to leave you with is, which, which person are you? Are you the one who has walked away the great refusal? Are you living in the what could have been? Are you like Bartimaeus? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to glorify you. And everybody that sees me is going to know that it was Jesus that touched me. I pray today that you have chosen to lay aside anything that would ever hold you back from following after him. And you'd experience that life. Not go away sorrowful today, but go away joyful. Offering hope and encouragement for your daily walk, that is Pastor John Randall. And this is A Daily Walk. We're going through the Bible right now. You can order a CD copy of this message by calling 877-242-0828. You can also listen to our recent programs on our website at adailywalk.org. We also offer John's teachings by podcast, and we have an app, too. To get our app, do a search for Calvary South OC. I should also mention John is on Twitter and Instagram. You can start following him on Twitter at PJRandall7 and on Instagram at John P. Randall. With all that's been going on in the Middle East and Israel, many are inquiring about end times Bible prophecy. And we want to get a good book into your hands on this subject from our friend Barry Stagner. 
It's The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. When the disciples asked Jesus how to anticipate his return, he gave them an incredible answer that we stand to benefit from. They asked him about the signs of his coming and the end times. What should they expect to take place? In The Time of the Signs, Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Jesus' return. We'll send it to you for the special price of $12. Call us at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Thank you for your prayerful and financial support of A Daily Walk. It really is having an impact. With your help, we're able to reach thousands with the truth and love of Christ at a time they really need to hear it. If you'd like to donate to the ministry, please go to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And you know, we are very grateful to the Lord when we hear back from our listeners. Write to Pastor John today by email at adailywalk at gmail.com. He loves to read listener letters and emails. Let him know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you at adailywalk at gmail.com. Maybe you're one of our new listeners. Let us know what you think of A Daily Walk when you write to us at adailywalk at gmail.com. Consider this with us next time on A Daily Walk. Where were you when Jesus met you? What place were you in when the Lord came and found you? When the Lord initiated relationship with you? Where were you? Do you remember the place? The place that you were was exactly where he met you. He came and met you where you were. He sought you out. He's the good shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. And he came and he found you. And it says here that he not only came to the place, but he saw Zacchaeus. Our Through the Bible journey continues next time on A Daily Walk with John Randall. See you then. This is a presentation of Calvary South O.C.